B-Sides. Hi, everyone. Hey. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. This is a podcast for progressives who love pop music. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. And welcome to season two. We did it. It's here. It's here. Who knew when ending season one, we'd be doing season two, six months into a pandemic. What's wild is our last episode, I think, dropped on like day one of the coronavirus existing as people Uh knew it, like the first person getting infected. So there's some poetry in motion, you know? Are you serious, Mimi? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, December December 31st or, or January 1st. I have a distinct memory of like two days before Christmas Eve getting a news alert about Wuhan and the coronavirus and sending it to my friend Jake who taught English for two years in Wuhan. And I was like, you should reach out to your friends there. And he was like, you're right. I should reach out to my friends there. (gasps) And here we are. I mean, we had a whole episode about 2020 predictions and I would say we cast a pretty wide net in terms of what possibilities could be, but I would say that the two biggest things that we thought were going to happen was Normani was going to be the biggest star of this year and there wasn't going to be a global pandemic. And we were wrong on both accounts. I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm disappointed in Normani. I'm really disappointed. Not, I'm not disappointed in Normani, let's say. I'm disappointed in Normani's team or in the fans who are making bad decisions. Like, I don't know whose fault it is that she's not huge, but it's someone's. It's men. It's, men. it's men's fault. It's men's fault. And as we'll talk about, you know, not to spoil her on the episode, but it's men's fault because I don't know how many men give her the play that she deserves. True. And, and, you know, we should also blame the pandemic a little bit because some things that might've been happening are not. Um, So we can blame the virus as well. And everyone who has allowed it to just absolutely thrive all year and men. Men's Whatever. fault. It's men's fault for it. For it. <laughs> Thriving too. Listen, Normani, if you need anything from us, if you need any support, we're here for you. I thought that that WAP uh, cameo was really great. I, I could have used a lot more content. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. We love you. Um, we love you, Normani. And for listeners, if you love Normani and if you love pop music and progressives, and all of the good things that the B-Sides is here for and how excited we are about season two. We hope that you will sus- subscribe if you haven't already. We are now back. We're coming out every other Wednesday. Subscribing makes it way easier to keep up and it helps it helps our project um, to become the, you know, the dream project that, that the three of us have. Um, so today we're going to talk about why it's sexist to hate pop music. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out. Um, so as we all know, elections are coming up and in general, I always find it important to be connected to my community. Um, and I want to give a shout out to a daily newsletter I subscribe to, which is called 730 DC. So for all of our listeners of which there are many who live in Washington DC, like myself and Mimi, um, we want to connect you with 730 DC. Um, signing up will be in our description. Um, they are a newsletter that connects Washingtonians to the city, to its communities, and to one another. It's definitely a great place for keeping up with what's happening in DC in general, but if and when concerts are back, they will definitely be listing absolutely everything that goes on in the DC music scene. So highly recommend. Um, so that's 730 DC, and we should give ourselves a shout out a little bit. Um, we're psyched about our merch. Uh, Becky, do you want to talk about what's new? What's new in the B-Side store? Yes. So right now there is a new limited edition B-Sides tote bag, also mug and sticker because I got a little crazy, a little fun. People really seem to like the mugs. Um, and it will not be up for a long time. We put it up, I guess today's Wednesday, so we put it up last Sunday uh, or Saturday. Days blend, you know. Um, and we're going to be taking it down without warning. So if I were you, I'd head over. The link is in this podcast subscription and I would order your stuff, a nice tote bag or a nice mug. It's getting colder here in New York. So nothing tastes better than drinking pumpkin spice lattes, which as an aside, I got influenced from TikTok and I cannot stop going to Starbucks twice a week as a treat for when I do something for work and getting this like uh, cold brew coffee with a little cold press pumpkin spice. Uh, it's really good. So we drink it, it out yourself. Yeah, of your B-Sides mug. 
which takes us, Becky, you know, for the cost of a latte, you can join the B-Sides Patreon. That's the last thing I want to share before we dive into why it's sexist to hate um, pop music. I just have to say, um, we launched our Patreon a few weeks ago with a lot of hope and, but not a lot of expectation for the, for like how it would be received. And we've been just incredibly, incredibly grateful for the many of you who have decided to contribute a $5 monthly donation to the B-Sides and a few of you who've decided to contribute 10. Um, Something that we talked about with you all in the past is, you know, right now there aren't specific perks just for Patreon because we want our content to be free and accessible to all of to everyone, but um, you know, the, if you sign up for five dollars a month to become a B sides sustainer or ten dollars a month to be B sides hero, you are really supporting this project and for the for us to be able to take it to the next level. So, thank you so much to those of you who have considered it. And if you think that this this podcast provides value in your life, consider giving back five dollars a month. We would really appreciate it. it. Would mean a lot to us. We love it. We love you. <laughs> we do. All right. So happy season two. We did it. When we come back after this short break, why it's sexist to hate pop music. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And when you go to Starbucks, check out the pumpkin gold brew latte. Uh, I had one of those last year and it was so good. It's so good. I hate that I found it. There's a Starbucks two blocks from me. It sucks. (laughs) Go on. Okay. Um, I don't, I haven't gotten a pumpkin latte that, from there because when I go, if I want a treat, I get the cloud latte that Ariana created every mm. time. Cause I want to support Ariana. Like I want that, even though she doesn't need my support, it just feels like she does. <laughs> okay. Let's dive into a beautiful quote and listeners, you need to guess which amazing human said this quote. Okay. <clears throat> Who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right, have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy? That's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles. You're going to tell me they're not serious? How can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents, they kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. All right, for folks at home who guessed Harry Styles and Rolling Stone, you got that correct. It's our love, our Lord and Savior. Harry Styles. Don't you fellow, love that Fellow quote? Aquarian. Fellow Aquarian. Oh, really? That's yeah, that's something we would say. He, I just think that's amazing. Um, I think it's such a, it, it really encapsulates, I know that we're, you know, we're talking about the the need to lift up women in in pop music. So it's funny to start with, um, with a male voice, but it's just, I thought it really hit the nail on the head. Um, we also need men to also help lift up women too. It's helpful if they're doing it. And I think Harry Styles Mm -hmm. does it in a very non, uh, misogynistic way too. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about this quote in light of something I stumbled upon. I think this was in an article just last week, um, where, Stevie Nicks said about her close personal friend, Harry Styles, um, because they are good friends and apparently Fine Line is helping her get through the pandemic, which we support. She said that his album was a huge thrill because he made a choice to be a rock and roll star and not a pop star. And, Hmm. you know, you might think based on some of the things we're going to talk about or because this is a pop music podcast that we should take offense to that in some way and um i i don't not only because it's stevie nicks and i'm scared of her but also because like there is there is a way to prefer other types of music that isn't offensive like i think in context she was essentially saying he did something that he wanted to do which was be a rock and roll star or put out more of a rock album 
And she was saying it in the context of knowing what it's like to put out a more poppy album like Rumors, which 1977 pop, and then go to Fleetwood Mac's next album, which was Tusk, which was like way more experimental and just like very different. And it's hard to pivot in that way. But you should do it and follow your heart if that's what you feel like doing. So I just thought that was um, interesting in context and, you know, not to just kind of like take a headline for one pull quote like that and, and think about the context because sometimes people are being offensive and towards pop music and other times they are not. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it takes me to like, you know, talking about this headline, why it's sexist to hate pop music. It's, this is a, it's an intentionally clickbaity phrase. And I think the point that you just raised is it's, it's not that it's always sexist to hate pop music. You're allowed to have tastes and opinions But what we're going to talk about is um, that the criticism of of pop music that is pretty mainstream is often really rooted in misogyny. So I do want to start by surfacing some of the criticism of pop that we hear on a regular basis and by starting with real quick what we mean by pop music. We should define what we mean by pop music when we're talking about that in this episode. Although I will say we've spent a lot of time (laughs) in the past, including specifically episode eight, which is an episode called Literally What is Pop Music? So if you're curious about this, you should dive in. Um, In this purpose and the rest of this conversation, I think what we mean is both a sound and a descriptor. What I mean by that is the sound is often but not exclusively upbeat. It has a familiar structure of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, bridge, chorus, chorus. That's what we mean by the sound. The descriptor, what I mean by that is it's a catch-all category for the hits, as Harry Styles meant, popular. So there's a lot more to say about that, but I would direct you to episode eight if you're, if you're more curious. So Becky and Mimi, what are some things that you hear people say when they say they hate pop music? It doesn't have to be explicitly sexist. Like, let's just surface, like, what we hear people say. I have a, a list with semicolons. So I think you got me covered. <laughs> it's so things like pop music has little to no substance. Um, it all sounds the same. It sounds overproduced and hollow, like a commercial, commercialized, that, that happens a lot. Um, artists have less vocal talent. They're auto-tuned. It's, it's very cut and paste. Again, back to like um, just, just being overproduced. It's hard to get away from. Like you can't escape it, especially let's mm-hmm. say if you work in retail or something in a certain store. Um, And it's for people who don't care about music in other genres. Like it's for people who don't like anything else. And just as kind of an aside um, or something that we'll get to later, I have to wonder, I think it depends on the person, but I always, always have to wonder like what exactly they're referencing. Are they referencing pop music just in this moment? Are they referencing the last 10 years, 20 years since the nineties, eighties? Like what, what is their timeline? Because I think that, that changes things a little bit for me. Yeah, I also think that some people, when you you hear that they hate, hear people say they hate pop music, they'll call it like basic mm-hmm. or like they'll, which is kind of, is also a Mimi touched upon, but it's like almost saying like, oh, you don't really have like expert taste. Mm-hmm. You're not sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those all definitely resonate with me, and I've been on the receiving end of them all, it feels like, as a pop music, um, as a proud pop music fan. So I think I'd like to offer that, you know, some of the criticisms that you just mentioned, I think we can lump a lot of them into four categories, which we can spend the rest of our time together going into four common criticisms of pop that I think, that we think, are rooted in misogyny. And those are, the first is sophistication and meaning or lack thereof. The second is the fan base themselves, as Harry Styles was referring to, that the fan base is is not sophisticated. The third is authenticity, that pop music isn't authentic. And the fourth is talent, or again, lack thereof. So let's dive into sophistication and meaning and all the absolute bullshit that people say that, that pop music isn't sophisticated or doesn't have any meaning behind it. Yeah, it's like when you think of Carly Rae Jepsen or even Kesha and like all of her, all of their pop music and like their fans. And I think about this for a bunch of my guy friends love Carly Rae, but they always feel the need to like justify their love for her. 
um, or like have to make excuses about why they like like lowbrow bubblegum pop and like Carly Rae is very talented. Like I think par- we talk about Carly Rae a lot and like perhaps her start started as a joke and maybe same with Kesha um, with TikTok. Uh, and so maybe I think people s- take that as who represent them, who they are as an artist, even though those songs are fucking incredible either way. And so they feel this need to like give you a reason to justify why you like it when it's actually just, it's good. It's good music and pop music is good for it's good because it's popular. That doesn't mean it's bad. And so like the, the idea that you should be taken seriously as a music appreciator or even a progressive person that you have to like justify the reasons why you like someone. I, I really feel this way about Kesha. I think she at least gets a really bad, had a really bad reputation as being someone who like wasn't talented or like, her music was bad when like Kesha is incredible and she put out all of these albums her newest album too like she works so hard and you don't need to justify it like her music makes you want to keep listening and that's good yeah totally and to go back to Carly Rae but then talk about this a little more broadly there was this piece from the New Republic um, in August 2016 and it's by Cleo Chang, who is a self-professed fan. Her favorite artist of the last 10 years is Carly Rae Jepsen. And there's a quote where she says, this careful attention to the lyrics and their seamless integration with the music are what make Jepsen's pop so good. Just think of the call and response between the synthesizers and chorus of Call Me Maybe. If Carly Rae Jepsen were a novelist, she'd be Hemingway, except without the boring machismo. And that's a great quote. Um, and it and it's in the context it's right when Carly Rae released Side B of Emotion which is the album that she released the year before and this author is essentially she's essentially you know trying to defend um Carly Rae as more than call me maybe and also as this kind of like serious songwriter and i actually thought this was interesting for a different reason because i felt like she was kind of defending her reputation um, and clearly loves pop music and clearly loves Carly Rae Jepsen. But she also was making some very clear distinctions that I don't think need to be true between like a singer songwriter and a pop icon. And not to relitigate this, this author's uh, article, which is a good article. And it's probably where I was at around 2016, but she says multiple times things like, you know, Carly Rae Jepsen's more of a singer-songwriter than a pop icon, and she really does seem to be more of a Joni Mitchell than a Madonna. And it's like, Madonna's also a a songwriter. She wrote like 160, she's on credits at least for 160 songs and like clearly wrote some of them. Um, So I think that is interesting to see that, you know, even people who really love pop music and really love some of the people that we love and like think really clearly about it in some ways still at least at least in 2016 um and perhaps now too like aren't really troubling that dichotomy too much between a singer-songwriter and a pop icon oh i i really appreciate you troubling those waters mimi um i think that what i'm always interested in and what we are always interested in in the b-sides is like First of all, to explain to you, to all of us, to, to, talk to, to, to talk to this community about why Carly Rae is more like Joni Mitchell than you realize, like that does feel like a fun fight worth having and exactly what you're saying, subvert the idea that there's a, there's a meaningful distinction between Joni Mitchell and Madonna at all besides style and taste right? There's, there's no hierarchy of value of the art that these amazing, amazing humans have put out into the world as a fan of both of their work. So I'm always interested in both like those, that push and pull. Sometimes I get pulled in, no, you have to justify that Carly Rae Jepsen's music is, is, is more sophisticated than pop. And then I have to pause myself and say, wait, actually what the fight I want to be having is that pop can be sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that also folds into that a lot of people feel shame when they admit that they like pop, then they like 
that they like pop music. We have people to tell the B-sides that they used to listen to Carly Rae or, or any other pop stars in shame and now they don't. And I think it's also worth exploring like why I feel shame about this. Um, is it because we feel like music has to be deeply meaningful or sophisticated? I also think that people are afraid of being judged and we so often judge people for liking something that's like mainstream or like something that's even like played at the grocery store when frankly grocery stores have great playlists those songs like are exactly what you need at all times and they're like colby clay or like because you had a bad day and like those songs are good and we shouldn't feel shame in enjoying those songs like they get you through like whatever you're feeling and they're easy to listen to and they can take your brain out of what you're stressed or thinking about at the moment and give you three minutes of peace. And like for that, it's worth it. I have to say, while I agree with most of that, I do hate Bad Day by Daniel Powder. (laughs) And I remember going to school every day in like ninth grade and it was on the radio every day. And I'm like, yes, every day is a bad day. Like, I'm in ninth grade and I'm so tired. Like, (laughs) anyway. Yeah, yeah. it was a bad example, but it is played at the grocery store, honestly, every single time I go there. So Daniel Powder is a one-hit wonder. Where are you? Um, And He's making money. He's making bad day money. You don't know what deal we got. Did we learn nothing from Kesha and Taylor Swift with Big Machine? You're right. (laughs) You're right. We don't know, Hannah. If you're listening... Daniel Powder? What's his name? I think that's his name. Come on the show. We love to talk to you about it. Mimi will fight you about we the song. We would love. <laughs> you, would, you would be an iconic guest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this takes us also to a conversation about like overt meaning and how like if meaning is overt in a song, then therefore that means it's not sophisticated, which is where I kind of want to go. So I remember a few years ago talking with a friend from college about this on Facebook and he's a musician He cares a lot about meaning in music. And I remember him saying, this wasn't explicitly a critique, but I read it as such. He was like, it could be that a big reason people love pop music so much is that the meanings are so overt. This song means I love someone. Oh, I love someone. I really like this song. Or this song is about big booty bitches. I love big booty bitches. I really like this song, depending on what you're listening to. And listen, he didn't say that was a bad thing. But I do see that critics of pop share this insight as a way to explain how less meaningful and less sophisticated pop can be. And like, to some extent, he's maybe right. It makes me think of a conversation I had when Folklore came out and we talked about this uh, a bit when we did our emergency episode, but how I had a few male friends be like, wow, I had no idea like what a great writer Taylor Swift was. And it's like, no, dude, she's always been a great writer and sophisticated and meaningful. It's just you didn't listen to it in 1989 because it was synth pop. Right. I think that's similar right. to what he's saying, too. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, he's right that in some ways, meaning being clear uh, is a big reason people love pop. And I don't think that that's bad. I think it should not be, that shouldn't be seen as bad, right? I love how some songs, some pop songs can be so naked, can be so clear, right? There's something so wonderful about a songwriter's meaning is living right there on the surface for you to grab to. You know what? You had a bad day, right? <laughs> this is going to be a horrible, we will, I'm not a great example actually, but, but a lot of the, the it's you a know, good song. I don't song. know why you guys are shaming me. <laughs> it's a good song. See, this is why people don't like to admit they Listen. like pop songs because you tell someone you like that You're song. Right. We're doing it in real time. There's a, there's, there are some bullies on the call. Yeah. The bullies have logged on. Now I'm, now I'm, ha- we're like, I'm no one's allowed to be tell bullies. People I like that song. <laughs> oh, fuck you guys. Your taste yeah. is allowed to no. You're right. This is you know what we're able to let let's have like re refocusing in real time, right? You're you're right. I love that. But anyway, anyway, I think I think that like sometimes certain songs, the meaning is right there. The beat makes you feel a, certainly with with um, think of like something just like this or something, right? Like that beat and the words they tell you exactly how to feel in that moment. And I don't think that anything has to be buried treasure that you have to work for 
for it to be sophisticated and meaningful. I don't need to go, you know, searching for meaning necessarily if I just want to enjoy lyrics and a nice melody. It doesn't nullify any meaning I might feel as I listen if you don't work so hard. It's okay not to work so hard for meaning. Do you feel like this is kind of tied in any way to the way that things like communication and soft skills that are seen as more feminine skills mm -hmm. are generally undervalued? Mm -hmm. Or is that kind of a stretch? I don't know. As someone who loves to be aloof sometimes and very direct at other times, I'm, I'm a little torn. But, you know, I, I think mm -hmm. there could be something there. Yeah, I think that's an interesting no, I point. I do. Moving on. I, you know, it makes me think of Jessica Simpson since we did read her memoir and like how uh -huh. they tried to mold her into this like perfect subservient pop star, meaning they yeah. like her managers and society to like make her like sell stuff and like she couldn't really be herself because yeah. herself maybe wasn't like palpable. What's the word? Palatable. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Like, and also are we able her, to sell? Also, the fact that her memoir was called Open Book, book. which means, like, I'm an open book, and it also means, like, open the book. Like, <laughs> she is an angel. Book. She is. Talk about sophisticated read, meaning. We have to read Mariah's book. The people want it. They've been clamoring for it. We have to read it. <laughs> um, but going back for taking us a step, step back, but to something that Hannah said, is it even true that meaning in pop music is so overt? Like I found pop songs like Beyonce, Adele, and even Taylor and Carly Rae, whose lyrics speak to me with a meaning that lives much deeper than the surface level of the song and whose melodies really, really get at me in a very visceral way. I think you can find meaning in these artists' work when you dig. And if you treat them like art worth digging into, I really think this is true about Taylor for me personally. You can't listen to the lakes and say that she's not a poet and that the meaning isn't like beautifully, you know, that there's a lot of ways to, to pull meaning from, from that song, the lakes, but also like, yeah, even love story. You not, can find not, a deeper meaning in. I just listened to last kiss again from speak now. And like, that is one of the most, that song, like we listened to it in the car with two friends and we were weeping. That is one of the most beautifully, like, horribly horrible song. If you really want to cry, or even if you're, if you're going through a breakup, that will really hit you. But you can be in a happy, stable relationship, and that song, man, makes you feel like you just got broken up with and your heart is on the floor. And, like, and that, can, that can appear when you least expect it. Like, we were just going to speak now. No one wanted to cry, but that song, you just listen to the lyrics, and they really they fucking get you. And there's something like just really came wonderful. came here for Story of Us. No, no we crying. actually didn't come here for Story of Us in the car. <laughs> it, was a, it was a hot topic on that song, but for another, for another day. Oh, um, and there's also something. It's like so long too. It's like a really long song, but it's so good that it doesn't matter. You, you know? know what's funny? I think of my memory to that song is they played it in Degrassi Next Generation when um, – I don't remember her name, but she was in Vampire Diaries. And oh, I think she was in Vampire. No, she was in Vampire Diaries. There was a, a character who was dating a trans character. And it was like about their breakup. And I associate it so much with that. And then the character dies. Spoiler alert. So it's like the whole, you know, it's very, really gets you. But, and I think there's something so wonderful in how we make our very own meaning. We listen to this music. Like we listeners slap our own experiences right onto these songs we love. For example, I think about Degrassi. Every time I hear that, I hear that. Um, I associate so much of Taylor Swift's songs from different points in my life. And I was reflecting on this recently to myself. She's one of the only few artists where I can like tell you for pretty much every single album that came out, like where I was and what part of my life that I was at. Like, Red, for example, I was studying abroad in Germany and I like have the exact memories of listening to like Holy Ground on the tram. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, going back to what he was saying before, he was like, it's, you know, meaning is so overt. And like, you know, I think that his words was, um, the song is about big booty bitches and I like big booty bitches. So I like this song. Like, that's actually not, that doesn't make any sense to me as a critique, right? Like there's tons of songs. Even you were just talking about like 
when I listen to, to some of Taylor's songs about cheating, I get so mad at the ex-boyfriend who cheated on me, who I never had. <laughs> like, I know. I don't need to have anything in common with these, with these songs to find meaning, to find pleasure. I just the don't song, think it's Good a relevant Life. critique. Good Life from One Republic. Uh-huh. We'll always think of senior year of high school. Beautiful. Always. Beautiful. Bad song. Or even like you learn things about yourself through songs, you know? Totally. Sorry, not bad. I shouldn't shame myself for sometimes liking One Republic. <laughs> One Republic. We need to like, let's do that at a different time because Ryan Tedder, who is this, you know, the front man of One Republic, he wrote like so many songs that we love. Did like, he? I didn't know a that. lot. He wrote Halo, man. Wow. And he wrote a, with Taylor. I mean, yeah, he has a lot. I dabble in some on Republic every every now and then. Yeah. Um, the listeners at home would like to know that my daily mix too is exclusively love country songs, and it's pretty much all I listen to mm. on a daily basis. Proud of you, and I um, love it. I'm, I think this actually gets to kind of a conversation about guilty pleasures within this broader topic of sophistication and meaning, and just like whether or not something has to be sophisticated for you to be allowed to like it as a person. So thinking about what Carly Rae has to say about this, going back to more Carly Rae quotes, um, in a Rookie Mag interview with, with Carly Rae, Carly Rae was asked, how do you feel when people talk about your music as a guilty pleasure? And I'd like to read her response because I think there's a lot going on for it. She says, it doesn't bother me, but I don't understand it because anything that brings me pleasure doesn't make me feel guilty. She's so cute. She says, well, unless we're talking about heavy drugs, she's adorable. Anyway, she says, but I mean, when it comes to music, which is a pretty safe thing, if I love it, I'm shameless about it. I understand that there are sometimes negative connotations about pop music as being a little more trite, a little more radio friendly, which can be thought of as simplified, but that's the exact thing that I love about pop music. It's like a 1940s jazz song, condensing all these emotions into really potent words. You don't have to, you don't have a ton of them to use and you've got to make that melody do the other half of the work. And it's got to be a one-time listen love. That's part of the trick. I find it to be more challenging for me to make pop music than any other. Folk music comes way easier. Pop music is a challenge, but I love it for its challenges. I'm so satisfied when I feel like me and the team got it right. I'm a shameless lover of pop music. Us too, Carly. So cute. From guilty pleasures and this conversation around sophistication and meaning and and just writing off pop music for that reason, I want to go to um, a much more overtly um, sexist critique of pop music, which is just that the fan base is teen girls. Going back to what Harry was, uh, you know, our best friend Harry was saying earlier. So Switched on Pop, which is um, a podcast that many of you all know and listen to and love, I, I hope. Um, they um, dug into this when, when Harry Styles dropped his song, Sign of the Times, his first solo single. And they said, um, they said something, they said, teenage fandom is so diminished and made fun of and mocked in our culture. And I just thought that was so true. And they talked about how, criti- how like, very critical music fans, often men, don't take teenage girls' tastes seriously. And in Switched on Pops, uh, they, they kind of warned that we ignore the tastes of teenage girls at our own peril, which I loved because Harry Styles is right. Teenage girls know what the fuck is up. And, you know, the relationship between the fans and the artist, in their words are also... They said the relationship is one of pure love. It's rooted despite all the branding and corporatization of boy bands and girl groups like this. There is a beautiful authenticity in the relationship between these fans and their superstar imagined paramours. And I totally think that 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 pure love is there. Yeah. As someone who was once a teenage girl and a teenage girl fan to the millionth and trillionth degree, um, I find this really fascinating and really validating. my love for Nick Jonas was pure and he loved me back and we had a thing. He didn't know it, but I felt it. And I knew this even when more of my hip friends criticized my taste for the Jonas brothers is like being mainstream when like they were listening to some like shitty, I don't even know what they were listening to. 
music. Jonas Brothers yeah. album, I, Jonas Brothers was still really good. So and their good. recent Their recent album is really good. And Back to the Car, which is the last time I listened to a lot of music. This was like three weeks ago. Uh, one of the songs from the new album came on the radio. And my friend was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I like this song. And I was like, why are you embarrassed? You have taste. You like the Jonas Brothers. You should be proud of yourself. You did it. Good work. You did it. Like. <laughs> And I also, on the teen girl discussion, I've been thinking a lot about Claudia Conway and how a lot of people are like, oh my God, like this teen girl, like she's our savior. And A, I think that that's very troublesome because she's clearly going through a very traumatic and toxic home environment. And we shouldn't be like, yay, like she's amazing, like exposing all these things. But she, as a teen girl, and all of the, what they do on TikTok is using her platform. Like, we should listen to her. And, like, we shouldn't diminish her by saying, oh, she's a teenage girl. But, like, she – I think that we, like, code teenage girl to somehow they're, like, stupid and aloof when it's very much not the case. Right. I think we literally don't trust teen girls to be smart. And so we don't trust things that were explicitly catered to them. And I think that just because music is loved by teen girls doesn't make it not good and doesn't make it inauthentic, certainly, right? All of the experiences we're talking about here were were authentic to us, and we'll get into what that word means, but it definitely doesn't make it bad. And teen girls have been shaping tastes for decades. Forever. Forever. My mom was a teen girl fan of the Beatles, and her father was like, they'll never last. Joke's on him. He's dead now. But the joke is still on him. Once so. again, I have to make a shout out to um, the amazing um, boy band fangirl. Um, that's, the, that's the Instagram handle. But the um, documentary on Amazon Prime for free is called I Used to Be Normal. And it's about boy band fangirls we talked about on the podcast before i just it's a first of all it's a perfect quarantine movie night because it's just it just will make you feel good and it's all about this about how teen girls know what the fuck is up through the decades yeah and of course you know when we talk about teenage girls of course fans genders matter and artists genders matter as well as an example listener reka shared that an example of sexism here is Pitchfork reviewing Ryan Adams' cover of 1989, but not Taylor's original album, as if pop music is only worthy of critique if it's validated through the lens of a man. Definitely true. 1989 is a great lens for that. And it also just has me thinking when we think about artists' genders mattering, you know, again, thinking about the way hating pop can be sexist but also sexism within pop artists in terms of I think like Justin Timberlake is a great example where he was I think he really you know he really capitalized on his relationship and breakup with Britney Spears um, in some pretty insensitive ways and people were like wow he is he's deep for doing that um, you know, he got, he, I don't think he, he got much flack for doing that. Um, it was kind of seen as authentic and deep, but then when you have obviously someone like Taylor Swift who writes about less famous exes or love interests or whatever, it's, it's over emotional or it's petty or something like that. So it's, it's both, you know, how people feel about pop music and then how they feel about pop musicians of different genders and the types of music they produce and the the feelings that they have or that they share what what's allowed to be valid and and what isn't and who who basically who gets empathy and who doesn't anyway let's take a moment to listen to a voicemail from b-sides listener melanie Hi, B-Sides. This is Melanie McCarthy, and I'm calling in about sexism um, within the pop music space. Um, Personally, I think that, you know, I think with a general view on this where, um, you know, men can be celebrated in rock 
metal, rap, and women can never dominate in those genres. Women find a home more in pop music and can be pop music icons, but that ends up being discounted in different ways. Um, and they can't really find huge success, or maybe one woman can, in a field such as, you know, rock or rap, but they don't get the acclaim as men do. And then pop music gets discounted even though that's a field where women tend to succeed a bit more. Also, this was sort of talked about as, you know, women in general in the music industry in a podcast with Jody Gerson and um, Ross Golan for And The Writer Is that you should check. Yes. And Melanie, sorry, you got cut off there at the end. I think this is, uh, that was our very first um, listener voicemail. Very exciting. Um, link to drop more voicemails are in the description. I think she meant to say at the end that you should check out. Yes, I agree. And I love And The Writer Is. I think it's a a really great podcast um, for so many reasons and for so many of the conversations that we're talking about. And Melanie, I, I really agree with your point about, you know, when when women can't dominate in other in other genres, but they can in pop and somehow that's, you know, part of part of what it just the whole the whole enterprise gets written off. Okay, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about authenticity and talent. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. All right. So I want to start our conversation about authenticity um, with, a, with a quote from a listener named Eileen, who in our Instagram said, it's bullshit that pop music is considered weak or not serious and therefore women's music. The irony is that men mostly run this industry and help create the pop sounds we hear. And when we have great pop female artists who write and sing, men try to take ownership of that too. I've heard dudes say behind a woman singer is a male producer. And she had a little vomit face emoji, which is exactly how I feel about that. Totally vomit face. Yeah, you know, and there's this this question of other genres and and which are seen as quote unquote authentic. So, rock, rap, punk rock, these genres are generally understood as speaking to more male or masculine experiences, and we can even talk about what that means um, because I think I think they they are certainly meaningful in their own way. You know, a lot of those genres have songs and cultures that center on, to a degree, like raging against the capitalist machine or when it comes to hip hop, you know, rallying against white supremacy and systemic injustices and, and things of that nature. And, and these are substantive things, but that doesn't just make them male experiences. And you know, even the women who contribute, it's sort of, they sort of get like subsumed into this male genre um, overall because, you know, the, the credibility seems to lie with men. So it's like, if they're, if they're picking out these sort of substantive, substantive songs and pieces, like this is a, this is a masculine experience because men are, 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 you know, the leaders of the free world and the political sphere and all of that kind of thing. So I, I think that's there too. And again, you know, these are generalities, these are overarching dynamics, you know, so it's always going to be a little reductive to talk about these kinds of things this way. But, um, you know, the way that, that certain artists who are marginalized or minoritized, um, you know, get sort of pushed aside in these genres or, or ignored in the, the overall picture of them is part of the problem here. Um, so, yeah. And authenticity is always a performance. So, you know, whose experiences do we see as valid songwriting material and, and whose are seen as frivolous? Right. I, I remember a few years ago talking about this with my friend and friend of the pod, Nina, who was helping me think this through and reminded me that, that back in the day, 
disco wasn't seen as authentic or, and therefore, worthy of attention because it was seen as black and gay and feminized and therefore wasn't an authentic expression of anger or protest or emotions, period, the way that contemporary rock was or other genres were at the time, which I think is, is, is really messed up. <laughs> and it's such a reminder that these, you know, any, any genre that is seen at, uh, on the forefront, if it's seen to be at all non-male, right? We're not even just talking about only, you know, women here. We're talking about anything that's non this like cis and hetero male um, vibe that is so dominant in in music and in what is seen to be an authentic musical expression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and just like this idea that certain genres are more authentic than others just and deserve more critical attention doesn't really make sense. And it going back to what I was saying more towards the top about like, I wonder about people's timeline if they, you know, if they're just insulting pop um in order to be misogynistic in some way or sexist in some sort of way. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing, but I'm curious about if they even have a, a timeline for these things, because yes, it's true that hip hop and rock and jazz before that. And like all of these, all of these genres have um, an element or an undercurrent of, you know, resistance in them. And, and we've talked about resistance music, before our second episode ever, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But, you know, pop music also has that. And pop music historically has that. Um, it was it was artists like it was the artistry and the the crossover music of people like Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and Prince in the 80s, who actually, you know, like created the sorry created the the kind of um pop music that we see now or the artists we see now are sort of like credited from from those and it's because they combine these like elements of disco and rock and jazz and r&b all into this this um sort of crossover music and it's actually the kind of music that was so groundbreaking that it it sort of moved to end some of the cultural apartheid that existed on places like MTV, where they only played white music until this music was kind of like so good and so irresistible that they were forced, if they wanted to stay the best source for music television, they had to sort of begin to integrate. So like pop music has that too. There's nothing frivolous about that. And, you know, that kind of music directly connects over this sort of long arc to, to a lot of music now that gets criticized in this way for being frivolous. Right. And I think this, this thing that we see is that our society as a whole has a very specific conception of what, of what makes good music. And that conception is fucking Ryan Adams, right? It's white, it's male, it's straight. It is within the acoustic guitar in a lot of situations, not always, but those emotions are allowed to be expressed those feelings and those those passions are privileged and i think that that just doesn't make space for the amazing the rest of the amazing music to receive the critical acclaim that it does and just even the concept of tying authenticity to music even that like fundamentally is is meant to be exclusionary like what is what is the point of of that conversation if not to be exclusionary to any interesting um, and and likely marginalized identity, you know, who's going to make something amazing? Yeah, exactly. It's like whose liberation are we celebrating here, and whose are we ignoring or or casting aside? Yeah, and I think there is another problem with the authenticity conversation, as besides friend Stella said. Since unconventional forms of femininity are seldom expressed by female pop stars, sometimes it makes me feel like pop is homogeneous, male-controlled puppeteering of young and sexy women to propel the, the, propel the capitalist music machine, which I do think is true. But I do think in recent times we've seen – we have some pop stars who have break in, broken that mold, and maybe they're not, like, as famous as, like, Britney Spears 
or other women that I think very much fit the critique. I think of Haley, Haley Kyoko. Um, I think of King Princess, um, who are very much not that and are putting out music that's queer and kind of raunchy. I guess like maybe I, I can't quite grasp on King Princess's level of fame, but I do think she's like on the more like mainstream. I think 1950 like has a lot of plays. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. And she's like more besiders, besidey than I think. Um, but I do, I mean, we know sex sells. And, like, we know that's why they prop up these people. And, like, we saw that with – even we see it with Taylor Swift's, like, whole transition from who she was in, like, 2010 versus who she is now. She can't escape the fact that she's still a young blonde woman. Um, but I think she's very much trying to have that, like, she originally became famous. Yes, she was talented, but she also was a wispy, like – beautiful girl from Pennsylvania, Nashville. The pretty privilege is real and for her specifically. It's no, I think, I think for, for famous people in general, yeah. like it's a problem with society too. It's like a whole, like, I mean, fat phobia is a conversation for another, um, another podcast. But I do think, for example, you see with, I can't believe I forgot about Lizzo, but she's someone too that is that I think has broken some unconventional forms of the femininity, um, just by being a fat woman and being proud of being a fat woman, and wearing close to nothing, which a lot of people take offense to when she looks great. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a story, and right, it's something she has to like deal with and yeah. and justify on a regular basis. I really appreciated this this idea that Stella shared because the women who end up in a lot of cases, and I think it's changing as you're mentioning, who end up receiving you know the level of fame don't actually look like the rest of the fans. First of all, they're almost in all cases cis women, and um, they you know a lot of them do look like Taylor Swift, right like that that is still historically what you're going to see on the charts if you if it's like if you even see a woman on the charts, then you you, you know you pick up those ten women who are there and like they look more and more alike and i I do see that changing as you mentioned, but it's still it's a real it's a real thing for someone to feel like this is this has been a male controlled puppeteering you know instead totally and like I don't even know who's behind. King Princess is producing, or even Haley Kyoko's producing. Macy's. Really? Didn't Mimi tell us that King Princess is a Macy's heiress? Oh, is she? I what I had to say, so that could be true. I don't know. What I had to say about that is that one of her two of her ancestors died on the Titanic. Oh. Well, I, I meant more like producing her music. Like, I don't know if she like has right, a male right, producer. Right. That's all I, that's all I literally meant. I'm sure she could definitely be rich and that'd be part of the reason why she's, she's getting famous too, which is definitely true. Um, not to harp back Jessica Simpson, but in her book too, even she talks about how she like became what a size six and all of the stories were focused on like her jeans mm-hmm. because she went to some like kickoff event and people were like, wow, she got so fat. Um, and that's just like very much uh, male control of how they viewed her and not for her talent, but for her weight. Yeah. And I, I think this could be tied to what we talked earlier about trusting teenage girls, because I do think they deserve more credit than they are often given, um, including Claudia Conway, who is not your resistance hero. She's just a teenage girl going through a lot. But, you know, I, I think part of that criticism and not trusting teenage girls can be tied to this because, you know, t- like, it's worth saying that their brains aren't fully developed and that capitalism affects all of us. And I think it has affected all of us in ways that we realize till later or even now. Um, and, you know, the, the effect that some of this potential puppeteering or, or, you know, a lot of these stars looking the same has on, you know, the girls who watch them and look up to them and everything. Some of that can be detrimental. So there is, you know, there is still a negative side to it. 
and it's both in the image of you know it's 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 negative potentially for the pop stars themselves and for some of the people um who love them in the audience you know not the the joy part isn't negative but you know with all of these things there's always another side to it um given the the society that we live in totally and you know so okay so We've now kind of covered this authenticity question, which I feel like we could say so much more about, um, but we've covered authenticity. We've covered the fan base and the artists themselves, and we've covered sophistication and meaning. And, you know, the thread I'm, uh, that, you know, I think we're trying to kind of connect here is these are all reasons that critics belittle pop music. And there's, there's misogynistic undertones to all of those. And, and to be clear, people of any gender can be sexist and can be misogynist, right? Like it does, you don't have to be a cis man to be a sexist. And I've heard a lot of women who'll say things. We've talked about this in the podcast before. We'll say, I just can't listen to, to women artists. Their voices just bug me, right? There's all these messages we get around our culture and our society that tell us not to, you know, privilege um, some, some of this music coming from a place that I, that I think is belittling um, from a sexist background. It's not interesting. It's not authentic. It's not good. Um, it, you know, it, 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 not because, you know, I have different tastes, which is a fine thing to say. I always think it's a fine thing to say that you have a different taste. Um, you know, but saying, you know, that it, ha it has no meaning, it has no sophistication when really like you're just an asshole who can't listen well. And I think another piece that we hear all the time is that pop stars aren't talented. And I know I've had to like I've had to explain to people that certain, like I, I have, how many times have you guys done this? Were you like force someone to watch like a Demi Lovato vocals live video or like Ariana Grande's highest notes compilation? Like I find myself having to do this all the time, like proving to people that the talent is real. Yeah. I think it depends on the, the person depends on the pop star. Um, but that could be, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've personally had to do that quite as much <laughs> as you have. But I do I've definitely done that, that a lot. I do believe <laughs> that you've had to do that, um, and I. I think we see that in terms of vocal talent. I think we see that in terms of what I was talking about earlier a little bit with, uh, you know, Madonna versus Joni Mitchell and songwriting talent. You know, like like Lady Gaga, I think has more solo songwriting credits or fewer. Um, fewer shared credits than Drake, but you wouldn't necessarily just think that. So, you know, there, there are a lot of things like that, whether it's like their vocals or whether it's their, their songwriting capability. Um, and I, it's interesting. I think like when we, I've definitely heard and made other people listen to, not that they weren't going to believe me going into it, but listening to like Beyonce's vocals stripped down without anything or Whitney Houston's vocals. Um, cause they're just incredible because actually the kind of like vocal riffing that some of these people can do is, is some of the best vocal talent you can ever hear. It's not that you as a listener of music have to think that anybody that you listen to is talented or have to think that like, you know, it, you don't have to respect someone if they auto-tuned all the, all of the, you know, pitchy notes, but don't pretend that's only happening in pop. You think there aren't like absolute untalented idiots who are phoning it in, in every single genre in the world, right? Like, and especially of course, the more marketable ones, which, ha which pop is one of them, but there's this assumption going into pop that the artists are untalented by default. And the burden of proof is on the fans to say, no, listen to, listen to Ariana, listen to Beyonce, watch Rihanna, like, dance while keeping up with her vocals as opposed to the burden of proof just being the other way around considering like every genre has people who are phoning it in it's just a ridiculous burden to put on pop especially yeah it's the same thing of having to just talking about justifying why you like an artist um i know hannah you mentioned demi lovato but i spent so much time also sending people things about being like no she's actually really talented like you yeah her, her image is just, it's sad for me because she is 
so talented and she has one of the most incredible voices. Um, and it gets lost in that and you have to justify liking her because people think she's like some flimsy auto-tuned bad voice when that's not the case. And even if she did an auto-tuned voice, she still would sound good. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever is the thesis of this episode. I, I would be remiss before we go. Speaking of talent, speaking of surprises, speaking of 2020 predictions, if you knew that Vin Diesel was going to drop a single in 2020, like what genre would you assume? I'm trying to challenge my own assumptions here. Um, like, um, a little bit of like heavy country, you know, heavy metal country, (laughs) heavy metal country. Is that a genre? Did I just make it up? I think, I think it could be. I, I would think like either that or that he would like start rapping or something like that. I don't know. I'm with you on the country. Country. Okay. You know, because we, we now know that he put out, like, very much so a pop song, you know, um, the kind of, like, dance pop that has certainly some roots in, in Robin songs and things like that. Feel Like I Do is the name of the song. Um, and that was really shocking to me. And I just, you know, as a reward for, for making it to the end of this, I just want to share something that, like, one commenter on YouTube said um, on his video, which was... I feel like my journey on the World Wide Web has come to its natural conclusion. And that, you know, there's always room for surprises, basically. Don't make assumptions about people. Don't make assumptions about pop music. That is a beautiful lesson, Mimi. Thank you for, for, for landing that plane right yeah. there. Too fast, too furious with your <laughs> assumptions. And listen, as we have always said, although I don't think the listeners of this podcast feel this way, you know, no one has to like pop music. You're allowed to have your tastes. But I hope that for all of you who have listened to this episode and for all of you who have been on our B-Sides journey and will continue on our B-Sides journey with us, you feel like you have a little more, you know, arrows in your quiver, whatever you want to say, to be able to defend the criticisms of pop music that you feel in your gut when you hear them are sexist or rooted in misogyny, and be able to just name that some of the assumptions people make about pop music, um, some of them are true, but some of them that are true are true in any genre. And, you know, asking the people that we talk to, to just think a little more nuanced about the the often visceral aversion that they feel towards pop music and how that aversion, whether it be because they think it's not sophisticated or it doesn't have meaning or whether the fan base, you know, as we mentioned, uh, seems to not be sophisticated or that it's inauthentic or that there's no talent to just examine that for themselves about and to examine that for themselves and think about, how those critiques are sexist at the end of the day. You don't have to like pop music, but don't be a fucking sexist. And that's our show. Yeah. Ask yourself questions, some internal questions about why you don't like it. Yeah. Is it your deep-seated insecurity? Do you feel like, are you threatened and scared of women? Maybe you yeah. are. And you can be a woman who's also scared and threatened by women. Yeah. And should you liberate yourself from that, that sexism that's in your head, you will enjoy some of the best fucking music on this planet and you will thank us for it. So you're welcome in advance. Awesome. So that's our show. Thank you all so much. Happy season two. We're here. We're so excited to be with you all. We can't wait to hear what other episodes you want us to cover this season. Um, it's the end of our show, but it's certainly not the end of this conversation. I'd love to share some of the ways we keep this conversation going because we are the internet home for progressives who love pop. We can't wait to hear what you think. So the biggest way I think that we are in communication with each other is first on Instagram at listen to the B sides on Twitter at the B sides pod. And we love our Facebook group. You can find it by searching the B sides or going to bit.ly slash B sides FB group. 
Um, the link to that is in the, is in the description of this episode. You can always email us with ideas, with questions at listen to the b-sides at gmail.com. All of the links are in the description of this episode. So take a second now to open your podcast app and scroll down. And while you're there, please do consider buying merch and consider joining our Patreon. We would absolutely love to have you, but whether or not you buy our merch, whether or not you buy our Patreon, we would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us. We will see you in two Wednesdays. And until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Hannah. I'm Becky. I'm Mimi. Bye, Bye. everyone.